You're listening to How Did I Get Here? A deep dive into our journey to find the dream job. I'm your host, Jason Fish, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ali Hushman, president of Rowan University. Welcome, Dr. Hushman. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Yes, very excited to have you on the podcast. To start off, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up in Iran? Well, I was uh, raised uh, in a very large family. My parents were not, didn't have any formal education. They came from villages far away to the capital, Tehran, and they ended up having 10 children. And my dad worked all his life in many physically intense job in order to make ends meet for the 10 of us. So I've gone through some challenging period in my life in trying to basically survive and eventually thrive in an environment that was that was tough and difficult. And I think all those experiences have been very, very beneficial to me because it, it taught me throughout the, those years how to deal with challenges and with calamities and not to break down and kind of think that the world is, has come to an end for you and you have no opportunities. Because I think hope and aspirations are very, very important for everybody, no matter what your background is. So I've gone through a very, as I said, challenging lifestyle, uh, including shortage of food and clothing and you name it, or living space and all of that. But uh, life since then has been good to me. And now switching gears a little bit to your current job, you know, we'll get back to, uh, you know, some of your stepping stones through your career in a little bit, but switching to your, you know, current job for listeners who are not familiar with Rowan University, would you be able to give a little bit of background on Rowan and maybe, you know, why it's named after Henry Rowan? Sure. It it's uh, it started ninety some years ago, ninety six years ago, in Glassboro, New Jersey, southern New Jersey, about twenty five miles from downtown Philadelphia. And actually, the history of it is fascinating because at that time this was purely a farming region and farming area, and it, to a great extent still is. But at that time, a community in here, in order for have some sort of visibility and maybe economic revitalization, they worked together and collected, I think, somewhere around $5,000 and bought a, a plot of land. And they basically offered it to the state at the time where the Department of Education was in pursuit of developing new public, what they call normal schools or teaching schools for primary and secondary teachers training. So through that kind of collaboration with the state, uh, the state built what we call glass for a normal school or uh, the first offering in 1923 with about 250 students. And it was more or less as a teaching school until Henry Rowan, an industrialist, and his wife, Betty Rowan, in 1992, out of their huge generosities, decided to do something amazing. And what they did was, they, Henry Rowan was a graduate of alumni of MIT and very wealthy individual, self-made, hardworking, brilliant engineer. And uh, he had the option, of course, to contribute his wealth to his alma mater or other places. But somehow he saw something about this place 
that uh, amazes many, many people and amazes me that his vision, how he saw the future. In that he said, if you invest in, in a very small unknown regional school that wasn't necessarily very selective, and then insist on excellence, specifically through his field. He was an engineer, so he wanted to have en- excellent engineering college. He said he's willing to give $100 million gift to this university, provided this university establishes or this college establishes an engineering school that is based on excellent education and training good engineers to go out there and be a successful and productive citizen. And it's amazing that as a result of that investment, obviously in 1993, I believe that the name change happened. And uh, so we are where we are. Uh, and as a result of his generosity, 20 some years later, you look at this university as a nationally ranked, very prestigious institution that has an amazing, not only an amazing engineering college, a great business college, great sciences, two amazing medical schools, humanities, uh, arts, uh, music. Uh, It has become a major comprehensive university, but more importantly, it has become a huge economic engine that has enabled the, the quality of life of the community to get better. The amount of economic activities that are not taking place on the campus of Rowan University and the surrounding region has created hundreds of jobs and made the lives of so many people better. Not to mention that has opened the door to now almost 20,000 students. And we started in 19, uh, as I said, 23, but what, 250 students. So this was the amazing vision of that man. So today, and we are now reaping the benefit. And what is amazing is the legacy that he has left behind. He's going to produce forever. And that really is is the story of this amazing institution. Yeah, absolutely. And and at the time in 1992, 1993, when he gave the $100 million to uh, Rowan University, at the time it was the largest you know gift of any public institution, which is pretty incredible. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, it's, even today, is is amongst the very large numbers. $100 million is a lot of money whenever you look at it. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. At that time, it was the largest. And it really made the national news. But it's remarkable that what he did. Yes. Now, what does your day-to-day job look like as president of Rhone University? Well, there are... What is different between uh, an institution of higher learning versus, let's say, a public company whose aim is to produce a product and, let's say, make money for for its investors, is that higher education has many, many constituents. All of them are important. And the purpose of the institution is not to make money, but to make people's lives better. Therefore, you have constituents like students, of course, who want quality education, who want affordable education, who want a safe campus, who want a place that is conducive to their learning, who want basically a home away from home as a campus. You have parents who obviously want to pay less for the expenses of their their children, who want their children to be safe. You have politicians who obviously would like to see, again, affordable quality education that impacts the the economy of the the state and the country. Uh, You have uh, 
you know they want to give you less less resources if they can if they can do so and expect you to do more uh, and and you have the community in here who want a campus where it's safe but the students do not cause noise or cause problem there are a whole host of groups and entities who have interest in seeing a university and and so i deal with all of those on a day-to-day basis and trying to recognize that my job in here is not just bringing 18 19 year olds and and sending them to the classroom in front of professors. It's to keep them safe, to keep them comfortable, to making make sure that the environment is 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 a decent place and, and respectful place for people to come and work and to function and to feel productive and to feel valued. You want to make sure that the parents who bring their 17 and 18 year olds into this university in the summer and trust their most precious asset with us, you want to make sure that they are comfortable, that their children are safe, and they're getting good education. So all of those things are, are part and parcel of what I do. I get letters from parents sometimes about issues that are could very wide-ranging, or you get issues from letters or, or issues from students. Sometimes they've got problems that I need to solve, then you have to deal with politicians at the state level, whether there are state senators or state legislators or the governor's office. You have business people in here who want to have new development and investment and constructions. So you can go on and on and on. It really is not just one or two dimensions. When I come to work every morning, and I'm, every, by the way, very excited to, and my days start very, very early. It starts about 4.35. But uh, when I come in here, I come in here excited. But when I come in, I have absolutely no idea what the day is going to be like. Absolutely no idea. You know, I'm talking to you. How do I know what the next phone call is going to be after I'm finished with, with podcast? I have absolutely no idea. So you've got to be prepared. You've got to expect the unexpected. And you're going to remain calm. And you've got to remain focused to make sure that as a, at the end of the day, the most important people, those are the professors who come in here to provide the education and the students who come in here to seek that education have got the infrastructure, the resources and the comfort and comfort to do their work so that you guys go out there and be productive and successful leaders of this great country. It seems like a very you know challenging position, but also a really exciting and rewarding one. It is very rewarding. Let me tell you, when you, all you have to do is when May comes and the graduation happens and you see these parents come and see their children succeed and you see the, those smiles on their faces, it's, it's the most heartwarming feeling you can have. It's amazing because at the end of the day, life is not Jason about you know going to work and collecting salary. There really is a lot more than that. And we all know that. And, and those, those are the, the things in life that, that makes make our job and our profession very, very exciting and rewarding. You know, seeing someone like you to go to college and mature up to be a leader in the future and 10 years, 15 years, contact us or see us in an air, you know, in an airport, say, hi, do you remember me? And hear who I am and this is what I'm doing. I've reached this level or that level. Those are wonderful feelings. No business person who sells a product to another person and collects money can ever feel like that. You might have just answered the question, but would you, you know, what's your favorite part of your job? I honestly don't know. But the, the interaction with the students really is the most important thing. 
I really do. I love that, doing that. I love to see them feel safe because, and that comes because I'm a father. Because that's what I want for my own kids. I want to treat everybody's children like I want my children to be treated by others. And that it is very important. Absolutely. What are the key stepping stones that have enabled you to get to and succeed at Rowan? My stepping stones really were, I was extremely, when I was very young, I was extremely motivated and always wanted more, always was very inquisitive and wanted to learn more and wanted to, to find out more. So I was never, ever satisfied. So when I finished, when I finished high school back in Iran, and I wanted to get to the university, to a university. And in those days, there were still is there were entrance exams, very difficult and challenging entrance exam. So the first time around that I tried that exam to get to the university, I failed. And then six months passed. Then I took it again, and that time I passed with flying colors. Except that during that six months period. The regulation in those days were that we had to do two years of military service, and I didn't want to do so. I wanted, I so badly wanted to do education. So basically, I was forced to leave the country and go to England to study. That's what happened. So I went there with 50 pounds or $75 in my pocket, landed in, in a town called Welling Garden City. And I started my first job in, at Kentucky Fried Chicken, frying 75 chickens a night for 50 pence an hour of salary. Basically made myself by paying for my education. Every day I worked and did different things in order to basically get an education. And those things really gave me the strength and the confidence that I I could do things. And also at that time I was, I still am, but I was at that time a very good athlete. I was a good soccer player. I could have pursued a professional soccer, soccer if I wanted to when I was 18, 19, but I didn't, so I went for education. And anyways, those are the things that really gave me the confidence. So when I finished my master's degree in England in 1983, I wanted to continue with a PhD program, and I went to one of my professors, Professor Winston, he was at the University of Essex, and I asked him, I wanted, I, I went to him, I said, I wanted to go and study PhD uh, and the specific areas that I mentioned to him was area of statistics and sampling theory. And at that time, he told me, why don't you go to India? They have the best statisticians, and they are really very, very good. And I said, I don't want to go to east. I want to go west towards America. Do you know anywhere, any university there? And he told me, well, there is this university very close to Detroit where everybody carries guns and shoot at each other. But the university isn't bad. And he was, he was referring to the University of Michigan. I didn't know anything about higher education in America. So I went to the library. I got some, my, my, you know, some information about the University of Michigan. I applied to them. And within one week, they accepted me and gave me a large scholarship and everything. So that's I came to this country, uh, got my... Uh, Another master's degree, a PhD degree in there, and eventually started in 1989 at United Airlines as an analyst, where I used to do forecasting for, for, for various flights from one, any point to any other point in America. And um, after that, I, got, I became a professor at the University of Cincinnati. And as soon as I, I entered academia in 1990, I became extremely involved. I was very, very energized. I loved my job. I would spend many, many hours in the office and on campus. And those things basically showed itself that the leadership of the university saw some potential in me. And they basically, I got some some 
basically advancement in my work. And then I was recruited by Drexel University in 19, in the year 2000, came in here and I was at Drexel for six years till 2006. And then I came to here. I would say the motivation and the, you know, stepping stones are very, very hard work, strong belief in what I could do, never allow others to make me feel that I'm not good enough. I believe this is a lesson that I would like to pass to every young man or woman. You should never let anybody tell you that you're not good enough because everybody is capable of achieving whatever they want if they put their mind and their soul into it and they believe in, in themselves. And I really think that is very, very important. And those are the things that really got me to this point. It's trying to be honest, trying to be consistent, trying to be persistent, to be, to be passionate, and at the end of the day, to be, to be kind and decent to everybody and try to really be a good citizen. All of those values are, I, I hold very, very dear and I try to always adhere to them. My final question for you is what has been the biggest turning point in your life and how has that altered your path? I think the biggest turning point was uh, uh, two. One was, uh, of course, being able to eventually going from where I was to getting my PhD in 1989 at the university from University of Michigan. That was amazing. But before that, I think the greatest step in my life has been my marriage. My wife has truly been a monumental piece of my success because it really takes more than one one individual you know you really need support as a human being and you have a partner that you can trust and who motivates you and who deals with all of your you know faults and deficiencies and and it sticks with you and supports you and gives you all that all the motivation and support that you want is is precious and i would really contribute overwhelming majority of my success to to her support and her love thanks for listening to this week's episode of how did i get here if you want to learn more about president hushman his linkedin profile is linked below there's only one episode left in the first season, so be sure to check back next week for that episode. See you then.